0: Hey, welcome everybody to uh, the next installment of the Midtown Pastor Podcast, which is still a lousy name. PastorCast. PastorCast. Hey, I don't like that either. But today is epic because we have the campus pastor of all our campuses presently here today for the very first time, and we are all sitting appropriately six feet apart. I think Brent may be seven feet from me, but (laughs) welcome guys. Why don't you introduce yourselves? Hey, everybody. Dave Burden.
1: This is Bram Panetti
0: And Elliot Cherry. And uh, we're about to dive into another passage from uh, the Book of Luke. And we've been kind of working our way through the Book of Luke and also through our Netflix uh, fave list. And um, why don't you guys tell me? I mean, everybody's been on lockdown, quarantine. How are you guys doing? What are you doing? Mm
1: -hmm. Well, last night we watched uh, this week's episode of Survivor, which was killer. Staying up to date with that is very important to me.
2: <laughs> I uh, I was helping my neighbor lady get some leaves <laughs> off the roof of her shed when I fell through the roof of her shed. Wow.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: so I spent the last two days re-roofing her shed, which is exactly what my wife wanted me to be spending the last two days doing.
0: <laughs> you know, I would like to be the kind of guy that could re-roof a shed, you know? I wouldn't. I've I always wanted to be, I don't want to do it, but I would like to be the kind of guy know, that, that could, could do it. it if you had, I want to want. To be that kind of guy. So Brent, with the Survivor, like, how many are they down to now? Like, and who's into it more, you or Caroline?
1: I mean, I don't want to give, I don't want to spoil anything. But this was the last (laughs) vote before the merge, so we're about halfway through the season. But this season is Winners at War, so everybody playing has
3: already won before. Guys, this podcast is coming to you in 2002, (laughs) (laughs) sponsored
2: by Survivor. Wow. No. Anybody want to study the Bible? You know.
0: <laughs> well, hey, why don't we uh why don't we begin to dive in? This week we are in one of the most well-known passages of scripture. Mm-hmm. It's this epic story of Jesus displaying through bread and fish that he has absolutely no limits. We're in Luke chapter nine. Dave, you want to read the passage for us? Absolutely. Hey, this is
2: Luke nine ten through seventeen. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. And he took them with him and withdrew themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. He replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Word of the Lord.
0: Amen. So guys, let's um, let's take a little bit of time and just kind of pick this story apart. Tell us what you see in this passage.
3: I think it's interesting. Uh, This is the only miracle that is in all four Gospels. So all the eyewitnesses, including the Gospel writers, thought this is something we have to put down. Uh, They saw something here that they hadn't seen anywhere else in Jesus. What's interesting, I think, is that none of the Gospel accounts tell us exactly how it happened. How instant was the, the mass of food? Was it just flowing out of a single basket? Did it all happen over time. It just is that's left to the imagination. But the disciples didn't want to tell us how it happened. Are the the gospel writers didn't want to tell us how it happened, but they wanted to tell us that it happened because something was displayed here in Jesus that captures who he is,
1: and like we see in a lot of these stories that get repeated, each of the authors has a different why often that they're trying to get us to wrap our mind around. You know, it's the same story, but there are different details in different stories because the authors are bringing out, different pieces of the stories. And I think that's been a really fun part for me of reading through this particular story, but also Luke in general is learning what is Luke trying to draw out of these stories for us to see about Jesus.
0: One of the uh, fascinating things about this story, it's really interesting, is verse 10, on their return, the apostles told them all that they had done. It might be fun to back up here and ask, what are these apostles returning from? What is the story before this story that gives us context for this story?
3: Mm.
2: Yeah, Jesus, uh, just prior to this, he had sent them out, and it says in 9 verse 1 that he had given the power and the authority to drive out demons and cure diseases, and he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Right prior to this miracle, they were coming back and reporting, basically going out and doing that.
0: and. Um, So let's stop for a second. These guys went out. These are Jesus' boys. They had power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Yeah. And they're coming back to Jesus after they've been out there just killing it.
1: Giving their field reports and telling them all the things that they were pumped about that they got to see Mm -hmm. and that they got to be a part of doing.
0: Right. What kind of head trip would that be to be one of the disciples that got to go out now and do the kind of things that Jesus was doing around them? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think it
2: would be pretty easy to imagine that they would have been coming back kind of in high five mode. And understandably so, I think feeling pretty confident and maybe even a, a bit overwhelmed with the experience. Uh, you know, whatever they were doing was getting so much attention that people were asking if Elijah had returned. And if John the Baptist had come back from the dead and even had Herod asking, "Who is this?" Herod, now, you know, the you know, the guy in charge uh, is asking the same question that the whole rest of the world is asking at this point, which is is who is this? Who is this Jesus? He can't be John the Baptist. I beheaded him. Who is this? Who is this? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. they're riding pretty high and probably. Potentially a little overconfident in themselves,
3: and you almost see what Jesus wants to do in response to their reports. Because the very next sentence is after they're reporting all they had done, then He took them with Him, and they withdrew by themselves. He, he's like, "All right, guys, we we got to go get away for, for a minute. We got to we got to go be alone for a little bit." And and you know, it doesn't come out that He's worried about their faith or that they're they're starting to not believe who He is or anything like that. But it's almost like, "All right." Y'all have been out there doing stuff in my power. I've got to bring you back to me, and I've got to show you something about me to make sure that you're okay.
0: There almost seems to be, based on some of the things that you guys have been saying, is that the disciples kind of came in with a big head, and there seemed to be some kind of an authority war that was going on, like who's got the power to say what. Mm. They turned to Jesus, and then they told Jesus what to do. (laughs) Send the crowds away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we're in a remote place here what do you guys
3: see and what the disciples are doing right now he goes to get away with them alone and then the very next line for that is is that a huge crowd has followed them and they think they know what should be done with the crowd that's following them it's it's what you just said it's the authority war has begun that they think they know what's best with what's going on. Jesus brought us away to get alone and this crowd is ruining that. And so we have the we have the authority to tell these crowds what what is best to do.
1: And we have the authority to tell Jesus what we think <laughs> is best for the crowds to do, right? Yeah. They don't just want to tell them, they want to tell they want to give Jesus advice on how to do ministry. Mm-hmm. Like, "Hey Jesus, I don't know if you're aware of this, but people are probably getting hungry now and it even says that the disciples knew how many fish and loaves they had as if they had counted their resources to figure out what they could do. And they realized, oh, we're not going to be able to meet this need. So let's go and tell Jesus that he's not going to be able to do it either. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a, a profound irony that just days ago, Jesus is sending them out with his authority And now they are exercising authority over Jesus and trying to send everybody else away.
0: And if you go to the book of Mark and you read the story there, fascinating because the disciples come to Jesus with their calculations. You know, We've worked out the math on this, and it would take eight months of salary to feed all these people. And are you expecting us to go to the countryside uh, and these villages and get this bread and bring it back? It's like... Mm -hmm. They worked through plan A, plan B, plan C, and came to them and said, hey, we already know what you need to do. Mm. Yeah. How many people are we talking about? 20,000, I think, with women and children,
2: which I think we discussed this the other day for perspective. That would be the equivalent of feeding a a full Bridgestone arena Mm. if all of the seats were, were full, 12 of them distributing bread and fish To that many people. That's a a considerably stretched miracle Mm. as far as the distribution is concerned.
3: And so we have this moment, the crowd of that size, 20,000, Bridgestone, full, and they tell Jesus it's a bad idea. We don't have the money to do this. And I think verse 13 of this passage is one of my all-time favorite Jesus lines, that they're (laughs) like, hey, we can't feed all these people, Jesus. Look at the crowd. We would need eight months wages. And he just simply says, you give them something to eat. I just have to imagine that he's giggling to himself as he tells him, tells the disciples this, like, oh, yeah, look at Bridgestone, look at twenty thousand people with no money, and it's dinner time. Hey, you give them something to eat. You have to wonder if he was taking them
2: away to basically bring them down from the high of what they had just experienced in casting out demons and healing people, and if he was he was going to coach them Mm -hmm. up right now because they're called apostles at the beginning of this passage. And then they're referred to as disciples by the middle of this passage. And it's almost like, hey, you do have this really unique role that you're going to play in the kingdom of God as apostles, but you're never not my disciples and you're never not operating uh, with any authority or any power Mm. that I haven't given you. So it's almost like he took them away to do that. And then the crowd followed. And so he decided, hey, disciples, I'm, I'm going to get that same message of my power and my authority and your subservience to that. I'm going to get you to that point through the miracle rather than through a conversation. Through the what? I know I say the word miracle funny. <laughs> I say the word milk funny. I say the word pillow funny. Let's just get them all out. <laughs> Oh man.
0: It is fascinating that the Lord almost sees through what the disciples are doing here as they're flexing their authority muscles and saying, we know what's best here. And Jesus challenges the power of their authority by saying, okay, if you're so authoritative, let's see your power, feed them. It's almost as if Jesus is exposing the limitations of their own power and their own authority. And in doing so, he's, he's doing them a kindness Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's a gentle and generous rebuke and miracle. It's clearly this is showing in a moment of scarcity, which is familiar right mm-hmm. now to mm-hmm. many of us, and in a moment of need that he has the power to provide basically out of nothing. So that's how, how powerful he is. But it's also a, a gentle, I think in involving the disciples, a gentle way that they still got to participate in this. It's not like, you know, this harkens back to like Exodus 16, uh, where, you know, manna and quail raining down from heaven, bread from heaven. Uh, He didn't rain it down directly from the sky. He put it into baskets and he sent out his 12 because that was going to be the way that he was going to feed his people after he ascended and went to heaven. You're going to be the ones. And so having faith in me and belief in me and trust in me and understanding my power is what you need, not your power. I'm going to drive this home however long it took Mm -hmm. you to pass out bread to 20,000 people.
3: Well, and I think that the mercy of what you're talking about, the generous and kindness of what you're talking about, but parlaying with what you said, Randy, or how you framed it, like Jesus exposing my limitations is a kindness. Mm -hmm. It's also one of the things I hate most when he does. We're all living in a season right now, (laughs) where we're having to embrace our limitations, that I thought I was in charge of my life in ways that I'm not. Mm. I thought I, I was uh, secure in my finances or my my ability to schedule my time or whatever it might be. Like this season is a season of, at the very least, it's an experience like the disciples. Uh, it's Jesus in the authority war saying, hey, I'm actually, because I love you, I have to severely, uh, mercifully show you the limits of your authority.
1: And and part of the reason Jesus is doing that, we know, is because he has plans to use these disciples far beyond what they could ever ask or imagine hmm. later on in their lives. You know, they watch their Lord ascend into heaven, and then they are left to take it from there. Hmm. mm And if they were left relying on their own resources or abilities, if they were not aware of their limitations, we wouldn't be here.
0: Mm. Yeah. So I want to take you guys down a road here and hear your thoughts on this because we all feel like we have certain authority in areas of our lives uh, and we don't want to embrace the limitations of our authorities we want to be the primary authority when it comes to our sex life, and we want to be the primary authority when it comes to how we handle money. We want to be the primary authority when it comes to how we view and move and groove in relationships and how we use our time and you know what we do with our gifts that God's given us. So when Jesus comes in and challenges that authority in our life, talk to me a little bit about what he's doing there. And why that's a kindness, because it doesn't, like you said that, Elliot it doesn't feel like a kindness when the Lord is challenging me standing up and going, no, I have a right to say how I'm going to express my sexuality.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that of, of the list you just put out there, I mean, I know for me in the last week, how I use my time and my schedule has been utterly decimated <laughs> and right. um, the amount of anger. And sadness, but mostly just anger that I felt over that, that my schedule now feels like roller skating in the back of a moving truck with somebody doing donuts. (laughs) Um, You know, I'm just bouncing off the walls trying to keep (laughs) keep my feet. (laughs) That's what it feels like. (laughs) And, you know, it's been really humbling because I've, I've realized that it's really easy, especially as a pastor... Uh, who does? Y'all um, can't see it, but Dave's doing air quotes right now. <laughs> professionally, Christian things <laughs> to realize that um, I, I love being Lord of my time. I know I think in my head, like, "Oh Lord, you know, I'm willing to serve you, and however, however you want, you know, you, you know, have your way." But He's definitely pushed into areas of my life, even in just this week, that I've realized, man, I I'm not sure I'm I'm fully surrendered to you when it comes to how I use my time or. How you want to employ me for whatever it is that
0: you want to do. Mm. Uh, I could say with almost confidence that I'm not fully surrendered. <laughs> not I'm not sure that I'm not I mean, and that's the God's kindness is that you know, scripture says his kindness leads me to repentance because he's exposing my limitations, he's exposing my false authority, that I have the right to tell God in the name of Jesus what he should be doing in my life. And I think the reason that he's doing that is this next point that we get to in the story is that Jesus is trying to expose these men and expose us to the war of possibilities because these men had the context for what they understood as possible, and Jesus was getting ready to explode this whole idea of what they thought
3: was possible in the world that we live in. And you alluded to this, Brant, but it's almost like uh, he had to uh, wage the war of authority before he could wage the war of what's possible. They, they had no idea what was going to be possible for their very lives, but he had to rearrange their own sense of authority. And I, I've been spending time this week in Ecclesiastes. That seems to be the undercurrent of much of what Ecclesiastes is all about is what you just how you just framed it, Randy. You think you know what God's doing and what he's capable of doing, and you don't have a clue. <laughs> Mm. And you want to understand it. Uh, You want to know what God has done from beginning to end, but no one can figure it out. And at the end of of chapter uh, 7, I believe, or 8, the end of chapter 8, he says, even if a wise person claims to know what God is doing, he doesn't know. Mm. (laughs) And that gets at the heart of this war of what's possible because I would love to tell you what the Lord is doing given the current circumstances of things. You don't know. Mm. I don't know. But could we, in the setting down of our authority and our limitations and picking up what God might be doing, um, not have to understand it all, but say, because you are the authority, I'm not going to try to talk you out of what you might be doing like these disciples did. You need eight months' wages to do this. This is crazy. And him just saying, will you trust me? This is why I brought you away alone with me, because I've got to get to that place.
1: I mean, we see the disciples do what I do, what all of us do is – I consistently overestimate my own abilities and consistently underestimate God's abilities or God's desire to do something good in the world. Mm. Like I'm thinking about it with my time. It's amazing how frequently I overestimate how much I will be able to get done in a day, every day. Or when I tell my wife what time I'm gonna be home from work, I'm always late. (laughs) I've had to really work on that because I always overestimate how much time i have and overestimate my ability to get something done but when god pushes me to see my limitations i'm able to actually understand that what he's put in my day is a gift from him and that maybe god desires to do something in my day that i don't desire for myself but what god wants to do is is better than what i have planned and that's true with my time it's also true with my money it's true with my relationships
0: but if your life works if the power of brand Uh, never runs short, then you're never going to know the power of tapping into a source greater than yourself. And it's almost God's kindness when he brings us to the end of ourselves or he brings us to the end of the fuel tank that we run our life off of. Because until we get to the end of that, we're never gonna seek out and hunger for and tap into a greater fuel than the greatness of us. So it is God's kindness that he is destroying what we perceive as possible to open us to the possibilities of this Jesus that we serve.
2: One of the commentators I read who was doing some work in the original language actually said that when he says, you give them something to eat, it can translate, you give them you to eat. It's to Brant's, I think, Brant's point of, well, let's see if you're the unlimited ones that you believe you are right now, and I'm going to actually... In kindness bring you to that place so that you can see my
3: unlimited nature in light of your limits. It's what Randy just said in a different way. is the same thing you just said, which is my resources work great until they don't. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's also an invitation to joy, right? Because what I desire is to be part of something that's bigger than me. But I can't be part of something that's bigger than me if all I'm relying on is my own resources. <laughs> so for God to expose my limitations and his unlimitedness is for him to invite me to be part of something that I most deeply desire to be part of, which is something bigger than myself.
2: Part of what's hard, though, Brian, I think, about what you just said is is I think that is true, and yet we live in a world that promotes there is nothing bigger than me. It's only when I, when I get dashed against the rocks of my limitations in God's grace that I can discover the beauty of what you just said, which is I'm made to be a part of something much bigger than me and to find my place in that. And we've substituted that in our world for, I am the biggest thing in my world. Only a God who loves his kids would graciously bring them to the place to where they realize, I don't really want to be the biggest thing in my life.
0: Yeah. And we come to the gospel and we find in the gospel, I decrease so that he might increase. And we even see it in the spiritual world when it comes to pastors and pastors that feel this need for their star to rise higher and higher and higher and Jesus calling us to tap into something greater than our own popularity as teachers.
1: I mean, you think about that with money, right? Like if my goal is to become the to rise to the highest point I can rise, then I can't actually be generous. I can give a little money here and there, but my money is about me and pushing my star higher. And so I'm never going to give in a way that would actually inconvenience me or make my life hard mm-hmm. if That money could be better spent improving myself.
0: So um, Jesus uh, pulls out the Jesus miracle. He takes the the loaves and the fishes. What? How many loaves and fishes was it again? It was
3: five and two. Five loaves, which I always thought was the great name for a Christian boy band. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Five loaves.
0: So, uh, in some of the other narratives, is there in the story, I haven't read them all this morning, but is there a young man who has the bread and the fishes? He a little boy. Yeah. And I wonder if he got the leftovers. Was that his reward at the end? <laughs> he gets a take home box, box just, for all 12 like, baskets worth. Or did he just stand there with empty hands going, "Jeez, you know, that's great for everybody but <laughs> me. But so Jesus takes these loaves and these fishes and begins to multiply them. Hmm. How did that work? What's happening in this story? Did they automatically turn into a pile of bread and fish? Take us with your sanctified imagination, how you imagined these disciples distributing this food to these
3: groups of 50. Since what Dave said is true that only the men were counted and there's women and children. We're talking about 20,000 people. Just the first thing that comes to mind is I don't know. In my imagination, was this did Jesus's basket just spring up like a wellspring and it just it was overflowing, or when the disciples took out basket one to group one and they came back, Jesus just had more. Like I, I don't know, but the first thing that comes to mind is is a, a field or a hillside of this size, mm. and there's twelve servers of dinner for twenty thousand people. I mean, we're talking about hours. Of time that it would take to get all these people their food that it may have been an instant miracle in the sense that it immediately started happening, but this was stretched out, which is maybe why the disciples all are the gospel writers all um mentioned it because it that it was dinner time, and this had to have lasted well into the night, well into the night to serve twenty thousand people with twelve men. When I think about it i I don't imagine it being like a sleight
2: of hand kind of card trick moment, but it is like a slow burn miracle. Some of this is because of something I read where someone had kind of, again, looked at the languages based on the tenses of all of the verbs was kind of implying that he he, he came to the conclusion that, that he would fill up their basket, they would go out, and when they came back, he would have multiplied more. And he said this, the disciples always found his hands full when they came back with their hands empty. Just this idea of, of the process of going out with full hands and then the walk back to only discover that the, the well hasn't run dry, that Jesus again and again and again will supply your every need. And so I just think the time that that would have taken, how that would have sunk in for them. I know for me, sometimes when the Lord does something over a period of time like that, it'll feed you well beyond that point. (laughs) So the fact that this miracle, like Elliot said, you know, it could have gone hours, maybe six, seven hours, who knows? That experience, they probably, six and seven years later, were still feeding on that Mm. as they were faced with moments in their life where they felt like, we don't have what we need right now to do what we need to do right now. They could have borrowed from the bread, (laughs) that they were fed uh, in that moment and uh, that experience with Jesus, which I think is true for all of us. We all have moments in our lives where we realize the Lord did something in that moment that I think I'll feed on the rest of my life.
1: It makes me think of when parents say, and I want you to go to your room and think about, think about what you've done. <laughs> that in a sense, that's kind of what Jesus says here in a very kind way. You know, the disciples come back all armed with their idea of what's possible. And Jesus says, hey, I've got something that's far greater than you could ask or imagine. Mm. And I'm going to give you some time to just think about that. Chew on it. <laughs> and I can imagine even the roller coaster that I can go through emotionally when I'm confronted with experiences like this, that that I can be angry. I can be bitter at having that stuff exposed in my heart. I can be mm. fearful. What does this mean about me and what what I believe? and. Lord, what do you think about me now? That And it just takes time to work through all of those things, to get to a place of peace and rest and joy in being disciplined by God. Mm. And I just imagine the disciples going through that whole roller coaster, maybe a few times <laughs> over the several hours that it would take them to serve this food, and that Jesus created the space for them to walk through all of that.
3: Yeah, and I think it's important to go back to the opening observations about this is an authority war. They come back reporting all that they've done and then the the possibility war of this isn't possible and now they're having to <laughs> consider that and replay that over the hours of delivering this food and there's got to be if they're human <laughs> there's got to be moments of humbleness, humility, maybe humiliation i would i would hope and i think is true There's moments of of deep gratitude and joy that, like, I can't believe I get to do this, that (laughs) I came back to Jesus telling him how great I was, and now he's gently showing me how great he is, and he's letting me get to play a role in that. I've had Sundays standing up front with the deep joy also being deeply convicted of my own sin and my own idols while preaching to go, and Jesus is kind enough to say Yeah, I don't want you to give them me, not give them you. And that humble joy uh, experience they got to experience for hours is, like you said, Dave, has got to be something they fed on for years to come, or at least could be a watershed moment they could return to.
0: Yeah, imagine these guys walking around to all these groups and They're unloading their food from their baskets, and people are saying to them, thank you, thank you, as if somehow they were responsible for any (laughs) of this food ever getting into the basket. And in essence, kind of taking uh, some joy from the Lord working and now using them. All that you guys said about how Jesus now is using the hands of these disciples now to distribute and display the miracle of God, Hmm. it seems God still does that that God still loves to work through his kids to display his authority, to his, display his power, to display even the miracle of his grace. And I'd love for you guys to talk a little bit about why does Jesus still do
2: that with his church? One of the things I, I'm not sure, I don't think any, any of us have commented on, but when he, when he got the bread and the fish, it says that he broke it and he gave thanks. And then he passed it out. And pretty soon from now, he'll be in an upper room where he will take bread and break it and give thanks and saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And, you know, this story is in the context of the story. And the story is the story of redemption. And Jesus knows at this moment that this miracle that I'm doing um, and providing and it says there that all ate and were satisfied. That I, I'm coming to satisfy um, not only God's justice and the need for the atonement for sin, but I'm I'm coming to provide for you in a way that you can't provide for yourself, and you need me to do that for you. But then, it's always been in my plan <laughs> that after I accomplish that in my in my death and my resurrection that what we see in the Great Commission, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given me. And behold, I'm with you even to the end of the age, therefore go. It's my joy now as God with you and as God, Holy Spirit in you, now to do my redemptive work. Uh, like Second Corinthians 5 says, you're the ambassador now of reconciliation to do my work through you. And that was his plan with the apostles. And we see that you know spread like wildfire, the early church in remarkably difficult circumstances. If you know anything about the life of the early church, I think it's always been in God's plan and agenda to work through uh, his kids. Some of the greatest joy we have as parents even, right, is when we get to enjoy and our kids enjoy and, and participate in what we enjoy
1: and love. Think about when Jesus tells, tells the people that God delights to give good gifts to his children. If you ask your dad for a a fish, is he going to give you a scorpion? No, that's ridiculous. He says, how much more does your heavenly father love to give good gifts to you? And we see that in verse 17 when it says they all ate and were satisfied. And then there was more left over Hmm. that our God delights in us delighting in him and in the gifts that he gives us.
0: So uh, it's a fascinating part of this story that we don't really know the answer to, but We can imagine what's happening here when the disciples picked up all the extra food and Jesus wanted them to bring it back. It's almost like he's doing something with his disciples. He's teaching them something here, even changing their hearts in some ways. But what do you imagine is happening here when these guys are just gathering up massive amounts of bread and fish when just a few hours earlier they were telling Jesus that he couldn't do this? Yeah, I mean... You know, within the flow
2: of the story, the irony of we don't have what we need to then Jesus does supply not only what you need, but displays in how he does the miracle. The, The storehouse of what I have to provide is beyond what you need. It makes me think about towards the end of the Bible, you know, in Revelation, where we kind of look towards the wedding feast of the lamb and the idea of God isn't just, you know, I want to make sure you have your three square meals a day, God. He's preparing for a never-ending feast in which the abundance of who He is and what He provides will be on full display. And I think we get a little bit of a almost a prophetic window into not only the heart and the capacity of God, but what um, He's prepared for those who know Him. So, yeah, the, the weight of those baskets, walking back with those baskets would have been an interesting thing to to meditate on, how did we go from, I don't know if everybody's going to rage against us because, you know, Jesus stretched his teaching time and now <laughs> we're stuck out here, to everybody's full and we got so much left over, we don't even know what to do with it.
3: And I I mean, the, I don't think that the, there were 12 basketfuls as an accident. Yeah. Like they each got to carry one. <laughs> Almost just this little, my wife likes to say, a little love note from Jesus, like little little bits of life that are too happenstance to not be providential you know it's like the lord saying hey hey don't forget your basket like this was for you too you didn't think i could do this you had a different idea about how this should go and i've had to humble your authority and humble your idea of me and humble your belief in your own resources but but that hasn't stopped me from giving myself to you too and i wanted you to be not only the one that passed it out i wanted you to feast too And I think there's something there that that's what you were alluding to, Randy, that this is a microcosm for how Jesus still works in the world.
0: Yeah, because we're in a very unique time in history. We have people in our communities, some are suffering and some are just irritated. Some have found this transition to be glorious for them uh, to be home and some not so much. And Hmm. yet, is Jesus still the Jesus that does miracles today? If Jesus is challenging our authority to declare himself authoritative, if he's bringing us to the end of our limits as a grace and a mercy to us, if he's changing what we believe is possible and he's inviting us into his work in this city, the big question on the table for me is, is this a one-time thing where Jesus displayed his glory on the side of a hill 2,000 years ago? Or is Jesus still the Jesus that does miracles in our lives and the lives of the city?
2: For me, and I sense this in other people that I talk to, I mean, it's a miracle for me to let go of the control and authority that I presuppose I have in my life. So for those of us, and like you said, many people are, are being brought into this place um, in a very tangible way in this, in this time, like Israel being in the desert and watching the bread show up every day, there will be people, many people, many of us, who will have been given an experience of watching God provide day by day by day. And without the cessation of so much that's happening right now because of the virus, the experience, (laughs) uh, the miraculous arm wrestling away from me that I know the Lord is doing in my own heart of, of will you depend on me today? <laughs> because you don't know. I mean, heck, if you watch the news, it, it, it feels like it's changing every six hours. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. It's like Matthew 6, <laughs> you know. Hey, I, I clothe the birds of the air and the and the flowers of the field, and you're much more valuable than they. And so don't worry. There's enough worry for tomorrow. He may be a- feeding them in this miracle. It's a miracle for him to wrestle away worry from my heart. And so, yeah, I believe he's he's doing miracles all the time. All you have is a gift from me. And I give you, again, Randy, you say this all the time. I give you everything you need for life and godliness. You quote second Second Peter? First yeah, Peter.
1: Yeah. So. I mean, and and that's going to be true for so many people financially in this season. Mm-hmm. You know, I think about stories in my own life of ways that God has provided when I didn't see a way financially that I would be able to provide for myself. And that when we look back, that that will be something that people tell stories about. Mm-hmm. And the provision may Look different or not always like we expect, but we trust that God is going to do that. And that part of the way he's going to do that is even by people in this community who have an abundance, mm. uh, that them leveraging their resources for the benefit of people in their community, even in a way that impacts them, mm-hmm. is going to be part of what God uses to meet these needs. And what we're going to get to celebrate is not our work in doing that, but God's work in meeting the needs of his children through his
3: children. And. Randy, I think, as we walk away from this, answering your question almost twofold, you know, does God still do miracles? we We just spoke to that. David Brandon spoke to that. Um, not only do I hope so I know so because i've I've seen it. Hmm. I think what God also, what Jesus also continues to do, and we see it in the disciples, is he continues to take them on the same journey that they went through here, um in the the Gospel of Mark. Soon after this, uh, there's another miracle of him feeding 4,000 folks. It's like the same story again. And then just a few chapters after that, the disciples are in a boat with Jesus, and they're hungry, and they say, where are we going to get bread? Not only does he continue to do the miracles, he continues to be patient with his kids, (laughs) you know, and, and, and to say, Hey, you're going to come to another point where you think, you know, what's best. You're going to come to another point where Mm. you don't know what I'm capable of. And I'm not tired. I have, I don't grow weary of doing good to you. And that's the, that's the promise of the new covenant in Jeremiah. Like I will never stop doing good to them. And I think that's that's maybe the more subtle but more spectacular miracle
1: because one of the most miraculous things that God ever does is change a hard-hearted people to soft-hearted people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's true of the miracle that he does in me that he does in those of us who are already within His people, and it's true of the miracle that he does in bringing people into his kingdom, mm-hmm. which we believe and trust God's going to do in this time too.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: As we bring our time to an end, I think that what you just said is scary for most of us, that God does good for us. And what's scary for me is, what if what I think is good for me isn't what God considers good for me? And it brings me back to what we've been talking about today, is am I willing to lay down my authority and trust the authority of Jesus? And Am I willing to embrace my limits as a way to see the limitlessness of the Jesus that we serve Am I willing to put down what I perceive as possible to walk into the presence of a Jesus who has all things that are possible? And also, am I willing to receive his invitation now to be his hands and his feet of going out into my family's life and into my community's life, my neighborhood's life, and to be the one who serves the miracle of Jesus to this city? and? I'm kind of reminded as we come to an end here that Jesus is inviting us to something bigger than ourselves. And in Ephesians it says now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or even imagine according to his power that is at work within us. It's working within us to him be glory in the church and Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So church, as we go into another week of uncertainty and another week of isolation and another week of wondering what the future is going to hold, the comfort that we get is that the one who holds the future holds us. And as we yield our need to be in control and our need to know and even yield our limits, not as a place of surrender, but a place of celebration, then we begin to experience not just the miracle of Jesus in our own heart, but the miracle of Jesus through our hands. That's what we pray for each of us in this room as we prepare this podcast, but we also pray that for our church, that this is the season God is calling the church to rise up in the maturity that he's given us and now bring the light of Christ to a world that is asking all the same questions those 5,000 plus people were asking on the side of that hill, who's going to feed us? Mm -hmm. So, uh, hey, Brent, as our young Jedi in the room, would you pray for our church and for our city and close our time? Yeah. Father, maybe more than
1: we have confronted this in a long time as a community, we're confronting our limitations. And it's a really humbling thing. God, we trust that you exposing our limitations is a gift from you. And we ask that you would do good work in that in our hearts and and even in our city. God, would you be changing us and transforming us into people who who can take this bread out out into the world to feed the people around us as you feed us with more than we could ever ask or imagine. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.
3: Amen.
0: Amen, see you guys. Hey, folks, I uh, just wanna remind you that even though we're not meeting together as a congregation, our small groups are still meeting. In fact, uh, they're meeting on Zoom platforms uh, as well as other social medias. I want to encourage you that if you're not in a small group, this is a great time for you to join a small group and jump into uh, getting to know some of our folks and being encouraged and maturing in your own faith. So hopefully you'll take advantage of that. Go online at midtownfellowship.org and there's lots of opportunities for you to join a small group.